Good morning. How many of you feel like you met your partner, significant other, spouse, any relationship in which you felt like you married up? That person in your life that challenges you to be better than you currently are, challenges your preconceived notions, and desires for you to grow into that person God is calling you to be. That person for me is my husband, Shane. He would say he married up when we got married, but I would say it's mutual. So much so is when we were first married, I wasn't much of a reader. And I didn't really care about language other than the basics I learned in some college and, and through school. And we would get into arguments. Now, he would call them debates. <laughs> I call them arguments. And we'd proceed, and he would proceed to throw big words around, because he's, did I mention, he's an English major. At first, I would pretend, because that's who I am, I'd pretend to know what he's saying. And then, as he does, he challenged me, and was like, do you know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh. So, he just wanted to make sure I was understanding what, you know, as I say, he was putting down. And I would look it up in the dictionary. Like I said, this is the second copy I have. The first one, I would keep, it was an old paperback, and he, we'd keep it by the bedside. He'd say something, and I'd like, just a moment. And I'd flip through the page, I'd look, and I'd find the word, and I'd go, how dare you? And I'd flip some more, and I'd find another word, and I'm like, well, then you're this. And it eventually became a running joke in our marriage. And so much so, for Christmas one year, he bought me this dictionary. And once again, I found myself in that spot, much like when we first got married, that Shane will throw around some theological twist that I hadn't really thought about. And I'll have my tears because that's my outlet. And because it's just so, for me, it was just, it's frustrating to not be able to express in the correct words how I understand the theological concept the passage I've read for the week is trying to say. But this time, instead of the dictionary, I'll either break out the book of Concord, or he'll take mercy on me and point to the theological text he got the concept from, which I think because if not, I'd be spending like, where did he find that? And I don't know, but for me, it's kind of like a mental gymnastics. And I find myself through the week, and it's exhausting. And like most times, I'm writing my sermon, and there are concepts I don't grasp right away. Then the insecurities come up, thinking I'm not smart enough to understand what these different concepts mean to me, and I don't yet have the language to express theologically what I mean. Now I'm getting better. And as far as my youth self is concerned, when we talk about resurrection is that I'm saved through Christ and I have a sure place in the resurrection of the dead because I know Christ conquered death from the cross. Not that I believe differently now, but I'm starting to wrestle with the theological unpinning of why and how it is important to be able to express what is being said throughout the Bible. The resurrection is the theological entanglement that the Sadducees wanted to ensnare Christ in. And they pose this question about whose wife the woman will be upon death 
since she was married to seven brothers in an attempt to secure a kinsman redeemer for the family. At the first reading of this passage, I feel like I need like a piece of paper, possibly a compass and a piece of chalk to draw out what goes where because of the complexity. Now, the second smart Alec reply that I have in the rabbit trail would be, she must have been considered the first black widow because she went for all her husbands. <laughs> you know, they all died. I'm like, but needless to say, I don't preach on that one. That would be interesting, but I don't. But Christ did not need a piece of paper, a dictionary, or theological text to understand and answer their questions. He was able to draw on the Sadducees' theological assumptions that had been built into the law of the day while answering that deeper question. Now, I find it interesting that they pose this question to Christ because the Sadducees themselves said in the passage they did not believe in resurrection. It wasn't part of their theological system or worldview. And Christ points out the theological beliefs they did have were tied up in Moses, which somewhere in their history, they forgot that God is the God of the living. Moses himself experienced the living God through the burning bush. And when he received the Ten Commandments on the mountain, he came down shining from being in the presence of God. And Christ obliterated that need of whom the woman would be married to after she died. Because there he's clarifying our life in the resurrection will be much different than it is right now. Now, theologically, the idea of resurrection can be expanded on when we look beyond the Sadducees' brain twister question. Resurrection can encompass so much more. It can encompass leaving your homeland and all that you know on a promise of great things. It can include waiting faithfully as much as we can without trying ourselves to fulfill a process, prophecy of having a descendant. It's for Rachel receiving the grace to bear a child, continually trusting in the promise given, wrestling with God and walking away with a new identity. I like the comparison I read this week in Christian Century that said, Resurrection means living on even through circumstances should not allow it to be so. It is the miracle of persisting, of stubbornly illuminating the glory of life. And it reminds me of countless examples we've been given throughout Scripture. Along with the living examples we see daily, it's living with the new diagnosis, Walking through with faith as the life you know is crumbling around you. It's facing those same insecurities and ghosts of the past that pop up when I'm reaching the new promises given. Learning to accept God's grace and assurance that God has you. You have been claimed, cherished, and promised eternal life.
And as the gospel says, all are alive in God. Now, Luther's idea for resurrection is explaining that by faith, we are redeemed through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, by the grace freely given to us as Christ lived and died and was raised again. We are part of that resurrection. We are alive. And I'm reminded that through this lesson, there's important to wrestle with that uncomfortable and live into the challenge given and come out with the resurrection that by grace, the laws of old no longer apply or have any power over us. We have been freed by the constraints by the Holy Trinity given to us that no works or deeds of our own. And oftentimes, the scriptures are that loved one challenging us with words we don't understand or concepts we haven't found the words to express yet. And God is handing us a dictionary and pointing to that theological text to find the definitions of the words or concepts we have been given to wrestle with. And each time it's done with love and with grace, when we get opportunities to explore what is written for us. And the truths untangled, we have been, we have been redeemed, we've been freed, and found resurrection through Christ's work on the cross for our behalf. And I encourage you to remain curious, to learn all that was written on our behalf, and to find resurrection that God is giving us encouragement and love to continue to decipher what we learn. Amen.